Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast brought to you by Blue Water Climate Control. Be sure and check them out online at BlueWaterClimateControl.com or check them out on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate with Austin Price, Rob Lewis, Jesse Simonton. I'm Brent Hubbs. Austin, you and I got a chance to spend a couple days in Atlanta, in the Atlanta, North Georgia area where Tennessee's trying to do some recruiting there. What's your takeaway of Tennessee's presence in that area? Well, I mean, we got to meet with eight kids over, a, you know, basically about a 26-hour span, and uh, I thought Tennessee, you know, is in a good spot with, you know, uh, you know, a couple of different guys. I mean, they're battling for, you know, um, guys like Nylon Green and, and, and you know, players like that, but, I, you know, I think depending on what Tennessee wants to do at the tight end position slash receiver position, guys like, you know, Miles um, Campbell and Julian Nixon are ones to watch as far as, you know, whether Tennessee wants to go hard after them. I think they would have a pretty good shot with both kids. Um, I think Tennessee's in a good spot with Cody Brown. He clearly likes uh, Jay Graham a good bit, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of interested to see where they end up with Smile Munden because I think with Smile, it's no, you know, no slam dunk that he's going to, you know, end up at Tennessee or anything, but I think they are positioned well. The problem is, as much like Travion Henderson, there's a lot of contenders. I think he likes a lot of schools. And so, you know, when he starts to, you know, dwindle this thing down, where is Tennessee at for Smile Munden over the next two, three, four months? It will be kind of interesting to see to me. And then Christian Zachary, uh, the kid at Carrollton, is another one that's kind of been a fast riser. He added Georgia, added Alabama, LSU, Tennessee, Florida State. This has all happened in the last month and a half. You know, where do things go with his recruitment this spring, and then where does he camp at this summer? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Back to Smile Munden, you know, first of all is exactly where is he going to play, how are teams going to use him. I think that will be a factor, you know, in his recruitment. I think the other thing that's interesting in him is – He's, he's going to be all about relationships, Austin. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who he was recruited by everybody down in that area to go play. Hey, come to my school. We've got this new facility. We've got this. We've got that. He, he stayed in the community. I mean, he's playing where he played middle school football, did not want to, you know, he wanted to stay with his friends. So the relationship factor is going to be really important for him, not the glitz and the glamour. And you can tell in talking to him, he's not about glitz and glamour. No, he's not. And, you know, frankly, is a guy that really is super laid back. I saw, you know, one of the comments on the general's course when we posted the video of, you know, didn't really, you know, give a great feeling. I mean, he was laid back at talking about any school. I mean, like, you know, I don't think there was a school that just wowed him. Um, You know, he's wanting to get back and see several different schools, uh, Auburn, uh, you know, Florida, you know, obviously Tennessee's another, you know, in in that, you know, mix as well, you know, for him to get back to campus here soon. But uh, clearly, you know, he he is a guy that looks the part. Um, I think he's probably an outside backer, maybe could play some inside, but I think an outside backer, he runs too well, having played a lot of time at safety at the high school level up until this past uh, season that, uh, you know, and, and, you know, you just feel like he's going to be a guy that comes off the edge. Yeah, a guy who's got great speed, runs the jet sweeps for him as a slot receiver, plays some running back for yeah. him. He's clearly the best football player on that Paulding High School team, and uh, they use him in a variety of ways. I, I want to say this, and, and I, think, I think this is important to note, Austin, and we, we talked to seven or eight players down there. 
what an impressive collection of kids to deal with. Just well spoken, yeah. clearly comfortable with the with the whole recruiting process. It's it's amazing how this thing is all getting sped up, and the byproduct of that is these kids are pretty savvy. You yeah, know what? yeah. Newsflash to any sports information director in the SEC, ACC, Big Twelve, Big Ten. Uh, of any of the schools that these kids could potentially land, listen to the interviews and tell me those kids can't handle themselves to meet with the media uh, at, at a Power Five program. Yeah. I mean, th- they were super impressive, and uh, you know, all well spoken. Um, you know, some better than others, and and the ones that were you know weren't the best were better in the top ninety per- <laughs> or top top ten percent of. Uh, you know, kids I've talked to. So, I mean, like, they were all just, you know, really articulate and, and, and really kind of had, you know, you could tell had done some stuff before, but not all of them have done a ton of interviews, and they weren't shot away by doing an on-camera interview. And, you know, these are guys that, I, you know, I think will uh, benefit programs uh, sooner rather than later when they get to college. It's interesting. We also talked to, we were at three different schools that are in the same region, same classification, same region. There's a ton of respect that these coaches have for, for the guys we talk to. When you talk about a Nylon Green and the respect, the, the coaches that go against him have in that region for him. Yeah. Sa- same for Cody Brown and, and same for the youngster. You know, at, at Grayson that we talk to, everybody that you said, you know, that guy's a really good football player and, and, and is going to be a big time guy. And uh, boy, there's some good football in that region. You know what? Oh, there's a ton of good football in that region. I mean, you're talking about, you know, top end programs. You know, you know, like Grayson, and that's where we talked to Marquise Killebrew or Marquise Groves Killebrew. Um, you know, obviously Cody Brown at Parkview. They finished in the you know t- final four this past year, state semifinals, lost to Harrison Bailey. Just so happens that you know the Groves Killebrew kid at Grayson played on the same seven on seven team with Harrison Bailey. He's really tight with Harrison, and uh, and I think that's where some interest in Tennessee kind of stems from. With him, as far and, and plus Derek Ansley covets uh, Marquis Groves Killebrew a, a good bit, and then of course you know Nylon Green, same thing. You know they all you know kind of go against each other in the same region. Parkview is kind of a new entrant to that region this coming year, but they've played against each other in playoffs and stuff. So there's a healthy respect there. The kids know each other. Um, wouldn't say that you know if you get one, it gives you a better chance with the other. I don't. That's not the the, the case with this group of kids. Atlanta. As you know, big as it is, it's just frankly too spread out. I mean, Green and and you know, you know was was really close to Grayson. Forty minutes. You right. know, I mean, like you know, I can go down Emory Road and hit about six high schools in, in 10, 15 minutes. I mean, like Atlanta is just different in that regard. So like, while the kids know each other through you know the camp circuit, seven on seven, it's not like they're best buddies that are like, oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna play together at the next level. Yeah, let's go hang, you know, let's go hang out to, at each other's house this week. Oh, it's a forty-five minute drive to your house. You know, I mean, it's, it's not close. I think the other thing too, and, and you find this in recruiting. I don't care where you go, um, it's just the way it is. Is the interesting the ties that are there you know that, yeah. that so we go to centennial high school and and, and then you find out that the, the kid's dad you know play with coach pruitt yeah you know so that's a unique tie you go to parkview and, and the head coach at parkview plays for daryl dickey at presbyterian former of all quarterback daryl yeah. dickey you know, we we walk into South Paulding High School. That coach has got ties to Alcoa. He played well, and he played ball at Maryville College. And, and he went to White County. Graduated a year ahead or two years ahead of, of Coach Harper on the Lady Ball side. So, lots of 
lots of intertwined things that, you know, not going to be the difference maker for you, but they don't hurt. They don't hurt. It's just like you go back to the Darnell Wright recruitment. Billy Seals didn't tell Darnell Wright where to go. Not one time. But the fact that Billy was a Tennessee fan kind of cracked the door open for Tennessee to go kick it down. So Tennessee was up to Tennessee to land him, but having that little in helps you. Yeah. And, and so, you know, little things like that, you know, can, uh, you know, prove to be uh, vital. Um, again, like I think, you know, using uh, Charles Davis and, and, of course, Mike Keith as well, but really specifically Charles Davis on the signing day coverage when he, you know, voices all the Madden stuff, it resonates with kids and find, oh, that's where that guy went to school. Okay. You know, and then a guy like Cody Brown who's wanting to go into broadcasting. I mean, tell me it's not neat that the nearly five-star running back, you know, who's a you know basically a top 50 player, goes out and sits out there and, and, and announces over the PA the freshman and JV games. Yeah, that may be the greatest story we picked up is that, that you know, because he talked about it. It was interesting. He talked about, A, he wants to be a sports broadcasting guy, uh, but he also talked about his love for football. And his love for football carries him so much that he, he's going to go and, and – handle PA for those kids that that he announces for um, you know when, when they do JV and freshman games which is just I mean a testament to the young man in my opinion because he's that involved in his program and he's that involved in his high school uh, and he's also working on his craft something he wants to do down the road he, I'm not saying this because Tennessee seems to be in a pretty good spot with him he may have been the most impressive guy we talked to and we talked to a lot of really impressive guys yeah, I agree. Uh, again, I'm interested to see kind of what happens with a guy like Julian Nixon. Good-looking kid at Centennial. Plays on a team that's not very good at the high school level. Um, but, you know, at, you know, there are some natural ties. Talks to Niedermeyer a ton. That's his, that's his lead recruiter. Um, and then, of course, um, you know. And he might be a tight end in the future. Yeah, yeah he could grow into a tight end. I mean, he's, I mean, he's 220. He's a big kid. He's 220, uh, you know, at, at the high school level. And he's... He, He's got the frame to put on more. Yep. Um, and then, of course, a guy like Miles Campbell, another talented guy that saw his stock continue to rise. Um, you know, it, it makes some sense, you know, that you know, Tennessee does their due diligence there. I think if you're Tennessee, you want to see both Campbell and Nixon camp this summer. I think so. I, in, in my opinion. And I don't mean that, like, they're not – if they wanted to commit right now, I think Tennessee would probably take those guys. But – I think you still would like to see him camp, watch him compete with your own two eyes. Yeah, I and, think the and biggest see, and see yeah. what see what they you know what how they fit into your kind of your your plans. Yeah, and and I think Campbell's a guy whose stock has risen because late on late in the year last year he was much more physical as a blocker, and I think that's what caught the attention of some people. They look at him and said, "Hey, if he's that physical at two fifteen, what's he going to be if if he puts on?" 20 pounds, 25 pounds, he's playing at 245. Yeah. I think that's the intrigue there. The other thing that stood out to me, Austin, is the number of times these kids have already been to Tennessee, and all of them that we talked about spoke about coming back to Tennessee quickly, being back this month, being back in April, coming back and seeing the Vols again. Yeah, Groves Killebrew could be in town uh, this weekend. Uh, seven on seven teams, I think, planning on planning to be up there, but we all know that, how that changes. Uh, you know, uh, Miles. Campbell, another guy that could be back at, at Tennessee in short order. Nylon Green told us, you know, he's you know supposed to come up next weekend. So, uh, you know, and of course Cody Brown's going to come up at some point this spring. So, yeah, it, you know, I, the best thing for Tennessee is, you know, they had him on camp. A lot, most everybody we talked to, they had him on campus in the month of January. 
and and they're all planning to be back, if not this weekend, next weekend, or at some point this spring. Well, and it's, but now it's not all about Atlanta, North Georgia, where obviously we we would try to bring you as much as we can there. This weekend is about North Carolina. Oh, huge what, weekend! What an impressive what an impressive showing that is is coming to town from the state of North Carolina that that Jay Graham is, is getting to town. Um, if they all show up, Austin, I mean. That is a who's who list out of the Tar Heel State. Well, as big a weekend as it is for Jay Graham because he's the, the lead dog on all these North Carolina kids, to me it's as big a weekend for Jimmy Brumbaugh oh, because no Jay you know, Jay has you know, is getting, you know, Javari Ritzy in town, Peyton Page, Travis Shaw, who's a massive uh, uh, you know, defensive lineman for the class of twenty twenty two, you know, obviously Isaac Washington getting back to Knoxville uh, in, in short order after his commitment, then turn around and decommitment once uh, the you know Tracy Rocker left for South Carolina. So in my opinion, it, yeah, big weekend for Jay Graham. Kudos to him for getting a lot of these kids in. And we're not even talked about Cayman Marley, who's a top hundred player on Rivals. Jalen Wright, whose really stock has risen a ton, the running back uh, from over there in the Durham area, and then of course Camaro Edwards, um, a uh, talented uh, running back from over in Havelock. But the defensive linemen are, are the are the are the bell cows. They're the key, you know, this weekend in my opinion, because you need to show well with Javari Ritzy. Peyton Page obviously uh, has had a ton of momentum headed towards Clemson, but you could stymie that this weekend. And again, it, it you know Jay's done a phenomenal job of getting them here, and he's the lead recruiter. But the guy they want to talk to is Jimmy Brumbaugh, and it, this is a big weekend for Brumbaugh because if, if he's on point and has a big weekend himself, Tennessee could be. Um, very happy with how this weekend turns out. Yeah, and I think that these guys are going to be in town for a while and, and, and going to give Tennessee a chance to spend quite a bit of time with them and, and you know, not just a not just a meat market kind of pass-through type thing, which we'll see how that all plays out, but that could be important as well. Ty Simpson is, is going to be around as, yeah, as coming well. Yeah, in, coming in as well on, on, on Friday. Uh, and that's the big thing. You mentioned just now with, with those kids, you know, the Paige, Ritzy, all those kids, from, or a good portion of the kids from North Carolina, not all of them, uh, but a, a portion of them, uh, coming in for not only just Saturday, but Friday and not leaving until Sunday. So that's that's big. Uh, and you're right, Ty Simpson uh, slated to come in and spend a good amount of time with Chris Winkie and Jim Chaney uh, starting later today. And so, you know, Tennessee with, with a big, big recruiting weekend, and they need to take advantage of this weekend because you're getting all these you know guys to campus and I think in a lot of in a, in a perfect way, you'd love to be able to have a probably a smaller number and be able to spend time more you know more individual time with these guys. But you can't turn them away when they're all willing to come. You say, "Come on!" Big weekend for Tennessee. Plenty of recruiting coverage from our trip to Atlanta. Plenty of recruiting coverage coming up all weekend long from Tennessee's visitors on campus this weekend for the first of many weekends of unofficial visitors on campus throughout the spring. Hey, let me tell you a little bit about Blue Water Climate Control. So you made the investment into an HVAC system. Now keep it running with Blue Water Climate Control's Smooth Sailing Service Plan. Blue Water offers their clients seasonal inspections, repair discounts, and annual tune-ups for one low annual price or low automatic monthly payments. The Smooth Sailing Service Plan includes semi-annual seasonal inspections to perform routine checks, 10% off parts and labor on all HVAC repairs, an annual 40-point diagnostic of your entire heating and air system, including ductwork, prioritized response to air conditioning repair and maintenance needs, never pay overtime fees for those weekend and after-hour emergencies, a loyalty plan, 
you can accrue $100 a year towards a replacement heating and air system with the Smooth Sailing Service Plan. You can call them today and they'll give you a quote over the phone. Don't forget to mention VolQuest to get a discount. So check out Blue Water Climate Control at 865-299-2290. Follow them on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate or of course check them out online at BlueWaterClimateControl.com. Speaking of blue waters, Tennessee looked dead in the water, Rob Lewis. A week or so ago, here's Tennessee. They were un, uncom, well, not uncompetitive, but they blow the lead to Auburn. Then they nearly blow a lead to Florida. And then they go to Kentucky and they rally for the win and put themselves at least back into somewhat of a postseason conversation. I know you've said on multiple occasions you're shocked. You hadn't seen anything like that. It's been a few days past now since the Kentucky win. Where, where do you put it kind of in the – in perspective with things that you that you've seen at Tennessee, I honestly don't think I've ever seen anything other than I mean the only thing that comes close to me would be the Hail Mary at Georgia, but that was just you know that was just one play. I guess I mean I guess if you if you toss in the fact that Georgia scored kind of dramatically, you know in, in the final minute, it's more of a sequence of plays. But this the the venue, the fact that it was against a good Kentucky team, I mean number six in the country, and the just. Being in that building, all the momentum was on Kentucky's side. I mean, Rub was rocking. You know, they'd come out and made a, a 10-point halftime lead, a 17-point lead just a, in, in a matter of a couple of minutes. It just – I mean, me and you were texting while it was happening. You're like, man, they're going to get beat by 30. And it, That's what it felt like at, at 19, right? Totally. I mean, just on TV watching it, you're like, they can't – they're not going to get any stops. And, and being inside the building was even – I mean, it was just – you know, you've been – in. in College basketball arenas. I mean, it's so much about momentum and you know who has juice and just. I mean, Kentucky had it all going, and I I, I never saw it coming. It, it's really the most impressive thing I think I've seen from a Tennessee team football, basketball, whatever. I mean, I, I, looking at some of the stats, Jesse. I mean, you, you you're a basketball guy. You you certainly played the game, know the game, follow the game, follow Tennessee. I don't think I've ever seen these two stats in a game. Kentucky had 20 points off of eight Tennessee turnovers in the first half. Who goes perfect on turnover conversions? Kentucky did in the first half. Then to flip the script, in the last seven minutes, Tennessee turned the basketball over twice. And if I'm not mistaken, every other time they had the basketball in the last seven minutes, they scored points. They, they either made a shot or they got an offensive rebound put back or they got fouled and got to the free throw line. I mean, the yin and yang of a ha of two halves of basketball where Kentucky had over half their points in the first half are off turnovers, and then Tennessee's almost flawless the last seven minutes of a basketball game on the road. Yeah, in one of the you know most storied buildings uh, in America. I mean, I think that is a microcosm of an individual season as a whole. I mean, Josiah James was a – people were freaking out about Josiah, right, Rob, for about six weeks? Sure. And then the last two games, specifically what he did, I mean, it, it, incredible. No one saw that coming. I mean, he was the best player on the floor in the second half at Kentucky the other night, and I don't think it was particularly close. I mean, he had, he had 16 points so, all in the second half, five uh, rebounds. And, again, I'm just saying that's a microcosm well, of the, yeah. the flip of, of kind of what you're saying, but I mean, just from an individual the perspective. He didn't score a bucket until there was, like, Six minutes left in the game. Right. And he didn't have an assist until the last yeah, couple he, minutes he of the was game, a too. Right. I mean, but his parents seem to be the good luck charm. Nope. So they're going to keep bringing them around. <laughs> so, so, how does a guy 
and, and I'm not asking for specifics about Josiah James, but we, you, you don't see this very often in sports, just in general. How does a guy figure it out? And, and I hate the phrase, you know, the light bulb comes on, because that makes it act like the guy was not even, you, you know what I'm saying, like he wasn't necessarily trying or, right. or he's not very smart or whatever. But, but how does a guy go from six turnovers at Auburn where you couldn't let him bring the ball up the floor to being the best player on the court for a long stretch, if not the entire second half at Rupp Arena in a visiting uniform. How does that happen? It's strange. And I know Rob will, you know, that there's been scuttle about injuries or what, but there, that, that does not explain the mental aspect of why, again, yeah, Josiah literally could not be trusted to bring the ball 40 feet across the, you know, halfway line and yet on a court full of, you know, future pros, whether NBA or, or, or over in Europe, I mean, he was – whether it was quickly or whoever, I mean, he was just getting – he was getting buckets on them. So, how does it happen, Rob? I don't know, man. I mean, Rick, Rick says a lot of it is health. But I just – I mean, how much healthier do you think he was Saturday – last Saturday against Florida than he was Tuesday against Arkansas? I mean, I, I just – I don't think that explains all of it. I mean, it's not like he's sitting on the shelf and resting all week long. No. He's practicing and he's playing crazy amount of minutes. I mean – Played 40 against Florida. Yeah, I, I just – I don't know that I've seen anything like that. I mean, you talk about, you know, winning and a rally at Rupp and, and not seeing anything like that or can't recall things like that. And I don't know that I've seen a player in a week's time be as vastly different as, as he's been. And I'm not knocking the kid. I mean, I think it's a, a total credit to the kid. And, you know, he obviously was not as bad as, as he was playing at the time. But to go from being, you know, a guy everybody was talking about how big of a disappointment, including me, how big of a disappointment he was coming out of the Auburn deal, seven days later he plays 40 minutes at Florida and was a huge part in that win. And then 72 hours after that, something like that, he goes to Rupp Arena and and does what he does. I I can't recall a a player flipping it like that or, or, or it changing like that in a week's period, in a week's time. I, I just it, to, to me it's a great one of the craziest and this has been a crazy season with this team but it's one of the craziest things I, I can recall watching and, and seeing with anybody not just with Tennessee but with anybody around the country that it just poof happens yeah depending on how this season you know plays out I mean there's going to be some some interesting stories probably told behind the scenes I think you're already seeing some of those with with kind of the lore of Folky happen where I know they're saying now that, you know, Grant Williams and whoever told him two years ago that you're better than all of us. Maybe. But it is pretty damn impressive what he's done this season, specifically over the last month carrying this team. I, I, I mean, I never thought that we would live in a world where John Fulkerson went to Rupp Arena and scored 27 points. I, I didn't know if we'd live in a world where John Fulkerson would score 27 points in a conference game. No, I promise you. I would have jerked somebody's arm off if they wanted to make that bet with me. Three years ago. No, I've never been. I mean, I've always. Not, not that he was terrible, but no. that just. I mean, he wasn't going to be the cat, offensive cat. He was a, he a was a serviceable college basketball player. But now, you know, the light or whatever, you know, metaphor folks want to use, he has tapped into a skill set that works. And you talk about getting buckets. I mean, he is. He is the number one option for, for Tennessee right now. And, and, and the offense goes goes kind of as he goes. What was the better play from Fulkerson on Tuesday night? 
the the kind of 15-foot fall away on the baseline or the fact that he sized up a guy and drove down the middle of the paint from the from the top of the key spin move. He didn't make the layup, but but he he aggressively attacked the basket off the dribble. Which the, one of those two plays step, are more impressive? The step back jump on the baseline caught me way off guard. Way off guard. I mean, I, I just I mean I'm blown away by how much better the kid is. Well, and it's a credit to the kid. I mean, look, there's Rick Barnes and his staff deserves credit for player development. We've talked about player development, how key that is. But but give this kid some credit for building his toolbox as the season has gone along. I mean, he made plays Tuesday night. He he wasn't either comfortable making or wasn't going to try to make or couldn't make the first of January. Yeah. You know, and, and he's making them now. I mean, he's dictating where he gets the ball at. You know, where he's posting up, he's pushing defenders, not pushing them around, but but he's dictating his space on the floor, which is something he wasn't doing earlier in the year. I I I mean, I know we talked last week, I think on the TV show, about all SEC, and I told you I thought I didn't think John would make it because of uh, Reggie Perry and Nick Richards. Oh, my, my vote changed Tuesday night. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Now, now, this one's going to be interesting on Saturday because don't you think Auburn's going to double hard? Because I was surprised Kentucky in the second half did not double, did not double Fulkerson hard immediately as soon as he touched the ball. Yes, I was really surprised. I mean, given the fact that what Fulkerson had done to them in the first half, I thought for sure Calipari's first defensive adjustment was we're going to we're going to squeeze a double hard. Don't you think Auburn doubles hard? Especially on when especially when Viscovi and some other guys were not hitting shots. Yeah, that's what I was going to say because Tennessee's not a great three point shooting team. Or you know, if, if Jordan if Bowden has a click and then. You know, that's one thing, but on the year, they have not been a great three-point shooting team. But don't you think Auburn will double? Yes, 100%. And so I, I think that'll be, you know, because everybody's going to assume because he had a big night at Rupp, another big night's coming or big afternoon is coming against Auburn. I think Auburn's plan against him will be very different than Kentucky's plan because Kentucky just kind of looked at him and said, we'll just play you one-on-one, and, and he took him to school. Uh, I don't think Auburn's going to allow that to happen. What's going on with the Tigers? What's up with Auburn, Rob? I don't know, man. I mean, I know they're not, they haven't been healthy, but I mean they're fading. They, they got a quarrel back now, and I mean Bruce's teams kind of did that here, you know, several years. But so I don't know if it's something about the way he manages manages kids. But I was kind of stunned by that Texas A&M loss. That was uh, he did not see that coming, and I, and I think man, I think Buzz Williams. He's the coach of the year in this conference. I think so. I mean, no offense to John Calipari. And I'm not saying this because Kentucky lost Tuesday night and blew a lead that, you know, at home against Tennessee. I don't think you lose that award based on one game or anything like that. But, I mean, Buzz Williams inherited a mess at A&M and not a lot of talent. And what they've put together, to me, what he's done this year and in year one establishing himself and being – Significantly better than anybody thought they'd be. I think he's the coach of the year in the conference. I think, yeah, I think people better look out too because I mean he's he's a Texas guy. He's he came up in Texas. He's he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna get some players there. It's uh, I, I I'd keep an eye out for Buzz Williams. Yeah, he's done he's done a really good job. You know, Texas gonna be interesting because he's getting established, and I guess Shaka Smart's gonna keep his job given the way they're playing down the stretch right here now. That that conversation. Yeah, three weeks ago him. it seemed like it was gonna be Beeline going yeah. back in there and. And it looks like it may not be that way right now with the yeah. way Texas has played down the stretch. All right, let's get back to Tennessee and Auburn on Saturday. What's key to this thing tomorrow? I mean, if you look, go back to the last game, it's just the turnovers. I mean, Tennessee had 24 at Auburn. Take care of the ball. I mean, like, I mean that was, it's like we talked about the Kentucky game. Once Tennessee start, stopped giving possessions away in the second half, it totally 
you know, flip things around. So to, you know, that, that's, that's an obvious one. That's certainly no X and O genius stuff, but that cannot give Auburn extra possessions. How does Tennessee handle Auburn's high ball screen offense that I think Auburn's going to – I mean, aren't they going to live in that? Because that's what they did in the, in the comeback. You know, I think they ran high ball screen I mean, for the last five possessions. I, I mean, I think Kentucky has better guards than Auburn. Overall, I don't think I don't think they have anybody maybe as good as Okoro, but the th the three of them combined are better. And t I mean, I I think you see them handle it the way they did against Kentucky, where they did a really good job of keeping guys in front of them. Maybe you don't switch as much this time around. I know Rick oftentimes, you know, depending on his lineup, likes to switch one through five, but um, you know that's we've seen that be problematic <laughs> at times. I mean, I think they're going to go with Vescovi. I mean, he's he's going to have to he's going to have to hold up. They're going to Dowdy. Um, it's probably going to be the guy that we're, uh, who's, who's the little kid, not Macklemore. Uh, name escapes me. But uh, this Kobe's going to have to hold up, I think. Because, I mean, I, I, I do think what you're saying is, I mean, Bruce will try to get him in high ball screens up, up the top of the key. Because, I mean, they're not a good – it goes against you know, what you what you normally picture them uh, as, but they're not a good three-point shooting team this year. I think they're worse than the league. I mean, but but they've never seen one they didn't like. No, they'll still jack it up. They're, 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 they're going to they're gonna shoot 30 of those They're those right around things. 30%, so it's not the same. Well, Rick Barnes said it after – told you, I guess, after the Kentucky game, his team's not dead yet. Thompson Bowling Arena will not be dead at noon tomorrow. should be a, a big-time atmosphere um, <coughs> and a big opportunity for this team to continue to put themselves in the conversation. We were talking about this before the podcast started. Got to win tomorrow and then probably two in the tournament? Yeah, I think Rob has kind of outlined it best that you think, all right, three straight wins, Florida, Auburn, Kentucky, Florida, Kentucky, Auburn, that, that's, that's impressive. Then even if you just win the first game in Nashville, that's, that's one of the worst – you're beating one of the worst teams in the SEC. So I think you got to have another quality dub to kind of really put yourself in that mix yeah, for Dayton or, or kind of that like 11, 12 seed. One of the last yeah, four. Yeah, because if you win on Friday, you're, I mean, probably, right, right now Tennessee would be the eighth seed, as I see it. They're tied with Texas A&M. Texas A&M has a tiebreaker. So that would put them on Thursday. A lot could change this weekend. I mean, it's kind of a log jam in the middle there. But it, it would, if it started right now, Tennessee would play Alabama on Thursday, the nine seed. Which I mean, I don't, I don't know that that helps you if you get that one, but you win that one as the eight seed. You're, you're catching Kentucky again on Friday. Yeah. So plenty. I mean, not not dead, but not in. No, plenty of I work, don't think so. Plenty of work to be done. I, I, you, you think this league's going to get five regardless? I I do not personally. I mean, are they going to because it's a power five oh, deal? Hey, no, are they going to get? Are, are they going to If Mississippi State takes care of it, they play Ole Miss this weekend. Should win that one. They win that one. That gets them to twenty wins. They finish um, eleven and seven in the league, and then they'll play somebody they should handle on on Friday in the SEC tournament. I mean, twenty-one wins. Ken Palm, Jerry Palm, Lenardi—they're going to have their work cut out from the next two weeks. I think this is going to be a tough year in terms of predictions, in terms of you know who. There's going to be, I think, some real arguments about who actually deserves to be, uh, you know, in those top four seeds. I mean, you got, you know, uh, San Diego State sounds like they don't even want to be, you know, they'd rather be number two in the West instead of one in the East or, right. you know. So, I, I just I, – I, Oh, you know you'd rather be I – mean, Oh, 100%. Because they're going to put Duke as a three seed. 
you know, in the east, stick them in, you know, great. I don't even know where the sites are. Greensboro. I'm sure it's yeah. Yeah. Greensboro or, yeah. or, or Philly or somewhere or, or New York. You know, where you know the one seed in that bracket's gonna be like, thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, mean, I, just, I think it's gonna be tough. I did, to, to I did kind too. Of predict, in terms of like, can can the SEC get five? I, mean, I think we talked about it a week or two ago. This is this one would surmise that this would be a good year for some mid majors to squeak in. Uh, some extra mid-majors, but that may not be the case because it depends on kind of how their resumes uh, unfold, what happens with a team like, you know, ETSU if they lose uh, in their conference tournament before, you know, if, if, instead of just getting the automatic bid, so. Yeah, and I mean, they, are, they seem to be one of the few exceptions that could be a potential at-large, you know, mid-major, if you will, um, potential team because it's been as chaotic in the mid-major ranks, you know, in a lot of ways as it's been in, sure. in, the, in the big, you know, in the Power Five deals, too. So I, I'm with you. I, I think not just, I mean, I think seeding and just who gets in is going to be hard to determine. There's going to be a lot of guessing, a lot of speculating, a lot of breaking down of numbers that are probably going to, people are going to go, huh? Now, at some point in time, it becomes an eye test deal. It does, and I would say from Tennessee's perspective, they need as many of these high-powered mid-majors to go ahead and lock up their spots by winning their Yeah, there's a lot of surprises there. They, they need the Creightons and those guys to, to go ahead that are, that are going to get in the tournament anyways, that if they don't win that spot, you're seeding one of your few spots You know, in terms of being one of the last four eight in. All right, for Tennessee, it starts on Saturday. If they don't beat Auburn tomorrow, it's it's an irrelevant conversation. Unless they win it, unless they go win the conference tournament. But I if, think. If, if, yeah, if you don't win, if you don't beat Auburn, I don't, I don't think you're a factor unless you're yeah, unless you so. win the thing. That's that's that is my perspective. Yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree with that. Maybe it's interesting if you get to Sunday in the championship game, perhaps. But you've got to be playing on Sunday if you don't now, beat Auburn on get, Saturday. Yeah, if they get to Sunday, they will have picked up two high quality wins. Right, but I, I think tomorrow is is very important for this team. We'll see if they can can get it done against the Auburn Tigers. All right, next week spring football is going to start. Uh, Jesse, you had have had plenty of stuff in the spring primer. When you look at five players to to keep an eye on, it's a big spring for them. We'll have the defensive one coming out here here in a couple of days as well. As this team rolls into spring practice, Rob, jump in here as well. As they roll into spring practice. Um, Biggest biggest storyline for you, not not a prediction. Biggest storyline for you outside of quarterbacks. Okay, quarterbacks is a given. Oh, all right, okay. I, I got to take that one off the table because everybody's going to say that. Biggest biggest. Let's let's do it this way. Biggest defensive storyline for you. I mean, we talked about it a lot. I mean, inside linebacker. You know what what happens there? Is, does JJ Peterson sees what's going to be you know, just an absolutely golden opportunity? And you know what happens at safety? Who steps up and you know is, is Flowers ready to? You know, step up and, and, and kind of fill the void left by Nigel. Biggest defensive storyline for you? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, I think it's actually linebacker as a whole. I think it's both in and outside, and and I think part of that is just because of the unknowns with where Kavaris is going to land in the fall, and where even some of the Whitehaven kids are going to land in the fall. I think there's some uncertainty about positionally where they're going to play. Um, so whether it's J.J. Peterson at inside linebacker, there's no natural heir apparent. For Daniel Batuli, you know who, who's going to be paired with Toa Toa, uh, but I mean, is Aaron Beasley going to be that guy? I don't think so. Solon Page has been in the program a long time. Don't see that. So I think JJ is at least going to get the opportunity to prove to Pruitt, you know, who 
you know, as I put in the piece, you know, very positively exclaimed two years ago that Peterson was this, who was the highest rated signee of Pruitt's inaugural class, that he was this four by four linebacker that could play all four downs. And we just haven't, seen, you know, fall four position, we just haven't seen that. But he's going to get, based on sheer opportunity this spring, because there's not a lot of bodies at inside linebacker, a chance to play with the other quote unquote starters uh, on defense. I think safety's interesting. Mainly because I think it's it's going to be kind of about development for Flowers. Uh, he's on my list of the, of the five guys. I think it's a huge spring for Roman Harrison. Uh, I really do. I, I you know, again, there's just not a lot of options at outside linebacker, and Roman is not a prototypical outside linebacker in terms of length, in terms of kind of uh, the you know. Jeremy likes to talk about these traits that they have for various positions. Roman doesn't really fit that. And he's a physical specimen. He's kind of a freak. You know, this is a guy that was playing defensive tackle in high school and blocking kicks and, and what have you. Uh, but you kind of saw that they were a bit unsure how to use him last year. He did come on a little bit late in a situational role, had a sack each against Vandy in Indiana. But he's going to – they need him to be more than just a situational guy, or they need somebody else. It, and it can't, whether it's him, DeAndre Johnson, those are the two most likely candidates that are on campus in the spring. Uh, but that's a lot of snaps they have to fill for, for, your, for DeAndre Johnson and Kayvon Bennett. Because even if you just assume, you know, hypothetically, that Bennett takes every single one of DeAndre Johnson's snaps, or uh, Daryl Taylor's snaps, excuse me, uh, Kayvon Bennett played a lot last year, too, opposite DT. And so they, the Vols need somebody to step up there. Yeah, you know, I think the thing for – I think the storyline for me, I'm going to go a little bit different direction. I think it's how, how the front seven, how their communication and, 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 with, with, and how the adjustment is to three new coaches up there. Oh, and that's – your, that, your entire front seven is, is – and look, and I know Derek Ansley knows them, and, and, and Brian Niedermeyer's been on the staff, and he knows Jeremy Pruitt, but Shelton Felton's new. Jimmy Brumball has not worked. Yeah, how does that know, become a them. cohesive group? Right. How, how does that work? Because it, I was looking at this and put it in the war room. I mean, this is the first spring in four years that the offense is not learning a new offense, which is pretty, pretty, which is pretty crazy to think about. They ought to be ahead. They ought to go fast offensively because – Jay Graham knows Jim Chaney's system. He coached in it before. Osavet knows it as a as a you know an analyst and what he's been involved with. They should be seamless on that side of the ball. Now, so it's about players on the defensive side of the ball. How do they adjust with three new guys up there up front, which is something they haven't done. A year ago, defense should have been ahead because they brought everybody back. It's year two in the system. Everything's moving faster. How do how does the defensive line respond to Brumball? How do those outside backers respond to Shelton Felton? Same for the inside backers with Brian Niedermeyer. So I think that's an – I don't know that you can look at that and, and say, boy, that's a win. or you know. But I think that's an intriguing storyline over 15 days to see how far that front seven comes and how cohesive they become with those staff. And this coaches. isn't something we'll, we'll, we would know until the fall because you don't – A, the coaches aren't going to tip their hand, and B, uh, you can't really know it until you see it. Uh, in a in a true game, maybe two games, three games, but you know what, what's what does the rotation look like at defensive line? Last year they played everybody. The year both, before they did not. Both yeah, and last year they played out of everybody. I was going to say both maybe out of necessity, but also because as Jeremy said multiple times throughout the season, all the guys were pretty similar. They didn't have a dude. There wasn't a game changer up there. Aubrey Solomon was pretty good. Matthew Butler was pretty good. 
but nobody was like a guy that demanded X amount of snaps. And so does that continue this year? What happens with the insertion of, of Emmett Gooden, bringing him back into the mix? Another one of my guys, you know, is kind of a teaser. I think it's a big spring for, for Elijah Simmons because, you know, does he kind of get above the line where he now enters that rotation? Only played 12 snaps last year, four huge snaps in the goal line stand at Kentucky, but that was really, you know, uh, all he did. Um, you know, if he can't crack his way into the rotation, he's going to be on the scout team again. Um, and, and perhaps that speaks volumes about the rest of Tennessee's defensive line, or maybe it just says they're kind of just the same and he's just, he's not ready to be a dude yet either. So just it, it, lots of variables, I think, can play with that. Group. Yeah, I, I think so. Cause I mean, the, the notion is everybody's back, which is great, but where's the separation on who everybody is? Cause as you mentioned last year, to borrow the old Derek Dooley line, they were a sack of potatoes, right? And, not a, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but they were I mean, they were pretty interchangeable because they were all kind of the same kind of guy. And it was gap control, don't, don't worry about going and making a bunch of plays. There were some plays that were made, but it was much more about freeing Daniel Petuli up to go make a play or Henry T to go make a play. I think in any conversation we've had with Jeremy Pruitt, he wants more activity out of his defensive line, not just pluggers and, and gap control guys. Who separates themselves and, and becomes a playmaker? Does anybody do that? Uh, will be interesting to, to watch out of that group. So Tennessee goes to the practice field on um, Tuesday, and they'll practice Tuesday, Thursday. Then they take the week off for spring break, uh, and then they'll come back and, and get into a regular schedule and a, and a regular rotation, if you will, with, with this football team. And of course, everybody wants to see what the quarterbacks look like and how that goes, and D'Angelo Gibbs. I mean, there's for a team that's bringing a lot back, Rob, there's a lot of intrigue and a lot of question, as there is with everybody, I guess, around the country. But there, there are plenty of questions surrounding this team personnel-wise uh, to, to kind of keep an eye on over the next 15 practices. Yeah, I, think, I mean, we talked about defense, and, and we've certainly covered this subject a lot. But offensively, I mean, wide receiver, he, I mean, huge questions, I think. Ramel Keaton, does he, does he step up? D'Angelo Gibbs, does he you – know, what's, what's he bringing to the table after you know, kind of – disappearing for, for a couple of years after being such a big time recruit and you know is Palmer ready to step up and, and be the guy Do you get anything from from a well I guess we'll find out on a freshman in spring practice but it, it's a I think it's a huge opportunity for Keaton and um, Gibbs yeah I think no I mean it's for Gibbs it's a you know big time chance he's gonna get as many reps as his body can handle with, with those guys and then as Jesse pointed out you know for a guy like Darnell Wright huge spring there what are they gonna do at left tackle we talked about it. lots of questions there'll be lots to discuss lots to talk about starting next week we won't find out a lot the first week because there'll be some acclimation and, and jumping in that way and and then after spring break, you'll start to get a little better sense of things when they get into some scrimmage settings and, and get a better feel that way. So that starts on Tuesday. Of course, the basketball team with a huge opportunity at noon uh, tomorrow against Auburn. And Jesse, uh, Austin and I talked about it at the start of the podcast uh, uh, as we did that portion of the podcast rolling back in from, from Atlanta and talked about some of those guys we saw uh, in, in addition to what's, you know, guys coming in this weekend. It's a pretty impressive list of guys that Tennessee has coming in this weekend, both in the 21 class and I think getting Ty Simpson here is huge uh, to get him back on campus. But a lot of these North Carolina guys are going to be in for multiple days, not just going to be a you know will in for a few hours and leave. Um, it's this is a big weekend, big opportunity for Tennessee. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think both Jay Graham with North Carolina guys and, and Osavet um, and Winky and, and Niedermeyer a little bit with, with some of these Philly guys, you know, they've, they're, they're bringing in two groups uh, from each of those, um, you know, areas of the country and that, that they seem to be the biggest collection of, uh, of prospects coming on campus. Getting Peyton Page back here is obviously, uh, he's the headliner just because I think Tennessee's kind of chasing Clemson in North Carolina a little bit. Jimmy Brumbaugh gets a chance to kind of get some face time uh, with one of the blue chippers, getting Ritzy on campus after he's been to Georgia multiple times. Can you kind of stem some of the, the Bulldogs' momentum there? Uh, you know, AP's noted this on the podcast. We've, we've kind of talked about it in various chats or, or other platforms. I think Jalen Wright's a guy that this staff really covets um, as kind of the, you know, uh, the toy. toy, whatever they want to call it, playmaker, um, can play some running back, some Isaiah McKenzie type, you know, type of dude. Uh, and, and Tennessee likes him a lot. He'll be on campus. Um, you know, I think Caden Marley's not going to make it, which that, you know, he, he's a top 100 kid, another North Carolina guy. I think they hope to reschedule that. Be curious about if Miles Campbell, I know y'all visited with him, um, if, if he comes into town, where does he kind of sit on that tight end hierarchy? Uh, we've talked about you know the guy that Tennessee likes in Alabama. You're right though, Ty, getting Ty Simpson here, getting Page's buddy, um, the 2022, uh, you know one of the top 2022 defensive linemen um, in the class on campus. I think that's huge. Let's see if Nolan uh, Rucci comes in. I know he's talked about going to Clemson, but it's still it's a big group. And I'd say lastly, Isaac Washington. We, we talked about that on Monday. The fact that you know he decommitted from Tennessee after the Tracy Rocker deal. Then had a story with Adam Friedman where he named Auburn and, and some other schools as kind of his top contenders. Uh, Tennessee was not listed among that group, and yet the Vols have continued to kind of maintain that dialogue uh, and maintain that relationship with he and his family. So to get him back on campus and kind of meeting Jimmy, I think is going to be important. Yeah, big weekend for Jimmy Brumball. Got a lot of defensive linemen in for just a chance for him to start to get established because being out in Colorado, he wasn't talking to a lot of these kids because they weren't recruiting in those circles. So starting afresh with those guys, FaceTime with him will be big this weekend. We'll have all the coverage that, that we can provide for you uh, on kids' visits after their visit uh, concludes here and, and get an idea of kind of how things went. Don't know that Tennessee's going to make any news in terms of commitments or anything like that this weekend. I don't expect that. Uh, but obviously this is a big Not weekend. for many of the big timers. Yeah. You, you never know about you know right. somebody else somebody that kind of gets the feels. But not those big names that, that no. we've been talking about. But it is a big opportunity with those big names. So we'll continue to cover all that for you, cover basketball as well, some baseball coverage. Plenty of that going on at VolQuest.com. That's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest podcast. For Jesse Simonton, Austin Price, and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Friday, everybody.